<laughs> I'll be reading from Colossians 1, verses 11 through 20. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we pray that these words from Paul would impact us, impact us so much that we might walk away, uh, walk away from here changed and motivated, and most of all, in love with you. All these things we pray, amen. Growing up, I remember my mom and dad talking about having to study Latin. There were probably some of you uh, who had to do the same thing. Anybody? Latin, Latin experts? <laughs> I was curious if anybody would be able to translate today's sermon title that's in Latin. I know somebody can because they came in and told me what it was. Anybody? Okay. Latin is, of course, a dead language, which is a little disappointing to me because we know how valuable it could have been as we have learned our English language. There are lots of root words um, that find themselves in, uh, based in Latin. And if I had to take a stab at, my, at any kind of, of translation, I probably could have gotten stuck on para and come to some conclusion based on paralegal or paragraph and the word bellum, which I've always heard in history class regarding antebellum, uh, which was always associated with the time around the Civil War. If it weren't for my time with the Navy, I wouldn't have even known about this little phrase, which translated means, if you want peace, prepare for war. If you want peace, prepare for war. I promise today isn't going to be a sermon about war or patriotism. It will be about wanting peace and will sort of set us up for next week as we begin to prepare not for war, but for Advent, for the arrival of the Messiah and during which we'll try to experience peace, hope, love, and joy. 
If you want peace, prepare for war. In military minds is the idea that with military might, those who wish to cause harm might think twice. If you have built up enough people and equipment and arms and ammunition, the sheer massiveness of all that for which you have prepared would deter opponents. Deterring opponents meant no conflict, no war or conflict meant that there would be peace. Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, was encouraging the same thing, except maybe not so militaristically oriented. Instead of bombs and bullets, Paul was preparing the Colossians for mental and spiritual war, and his entire focus was directed at fending off the attack of a popular way of thinking. Gnosticism had been infusing itself in every aspect of the community, and so Paul, in this letter, was preparing them for a philosophical battlefield. Gnosticism believed in gnosis, or wisdom. Intellect was paramount because wisdom would allow the individual to experience the the divine. It would lift the individual from evil creation to their spot in heaven with God. Wisdom alone for the Gnostics, not faith. Faith had nothing to do with it. Wisdom alone would lead to salvation. So some key points about Gnosticism. Gnosticism taught that all of creation was evil and that heaven and earth were separated by different levels of existence and each ascending level required more and more knowledge. In video games, you need to know where the special key is hidden or what tree needs to be smashed to find the secret door or tool that will get you through that level. Salvation was based on intellect. For the Gnostics, since all of creation was evil and Jesus existed in a human body, then Jesus was connected more to evil than to the divine. However, Jesus' intellect was superior to most others around him. To Gnostics, Jesus was further along the way to salvation than most. He was a level or two beyond what others could comprehend, but he was not any more special than anyone else that had attained the same level. And the simple fact that he existed as part of creation meant that he was not divine. He had no direct connection with God. There was no possible way that Jesus Christ could be the Son of God. Paul's language to the Colossians reflected his concern for this Gnostic attack. Verses like 15 and 19 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All things in heaven and on earth were created through him and for him. And 19 says, For in him 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through the blood of his cross. These verses illustrated Paul's own knowledge of his opponents, so much so that he could use their language and images to make his own Christian, make his own case for the Christian perspective. Paul was aware of the Gnostic challenge that was before his Colossian congregation, and he used that language to prepare them for war, for a battle of wits with the Gnostics. Here is what Paul gave them. Colossians, when these people come at you and say that Jesus as a created human is evil, they're trying to destroy your faith. Tell them that you thought they would say something like that, but in fact, Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. Jesus was from the beginning and at the, at the designated time came to earth in human form. Jesus isn't just the run-of-the-mill human being, but actually God born in human form. Because Jesus is divine, he cannot be evil. And the second thing, when these people come at you, Colossians, and say that you'll never get to heaven because you're not smart enough, they're trying to destroy your faith. When they do that, tell them that you thought they would say something like that. But even if we weren't that smart at all, our lack of smarts isn't going to keep us from being with God. In fact, God used Jesus to help us get there. Tell them that through Jesus, God would reconcile all things by making peace through the blood of his cross. It is this phrase in verse 20, by making peace through the blood of his cross, that has captured my attention this morning. Jesus' death on the cross, his sacrifice, his blood shed, is what makes peace. Since we are Christians, we profess that Jesus Christ is our Savior and that that was accomplished by his sacrifice for us. Through him, we have been reconciled. We have been presented to God as redeemed and righteous. We know that Jesus shed his blood for us and for all things. With so much discord in so many areas of our lives, I think Paul is preparing us to be agents for making peace. Making peace through the blood of his cross. William Barclay wrote, The fact that we are loved does not give us complete freedom to do as we like, it lays upon us the greatest obligation in the world, the obligation of being worthy of that love. Church, God's love has set us free to love, to respond in the world in such a way that love will always win the day. 
If it is peace we desire, if we want peace, then God has been preparing us by loving us in ways that are overwhelming, that are so large and big and massive that there isn't anything that compares to it. God's love and Jesus Christ's work on the cross should prepare us to be able to stand firm in the face of those who want to destroy our own faith. We must remember that Jesus Christ's work on the cross has saved us and has changed how we respond to the world. Instead of yelling back, we must speak calmly. Instead of throwing a tantrum back, we must maintain our control. Instead of threatening back, we must forgive. Instead of lying back, we must speak the truth. Instead of dismissing back, we must consider. Instead of hating back, we must love. When they come at us with whatever weapon they choose, their goal is to destroy our faith. But through Jesus' shed blood, we cannot stoop or belittle or compromise ourselves. By making peace through the blood of his cross, we have been allowed the opportunity to be an example of a community that lives with unshakable joy and loyalty and overwhelming hope. And while... That should bring peace to the world when we live like we know hope and joy and love are for us and we behave in the world like that. There is no doubt that it will, be, that it will bring peace to our lives. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we know that Sometimes it's easier to not be peaceful. Sometimes it makes us feel better when we lash out and yell and are angry with those who have hurt us. But because of the blood of the cross, we can make peace. We must be peaceful especially in a world that is everything but. All these things we pray. Amen.